How many of you went to the movies over the holidays like me? <laughs> Did you see Les Miserables where they sing instead of speak? <laughs> I did too, and so I think this is what we ought to do. We should sing instead of saying also with you. Yeah. Uh, the Lord be with you. Pretty good. Yay. I know you're looking at me like, well, he's got kind of a beard thing going and he's singing. And what is this elf? I'm singing. I don't know. <laughs> if you haven't seen Les Mis yet, I'm just going to, I'm not going to recommend it because there, a lot of you guys are too shallow to watch Wolverine and Gladiator singing a duet. Let's just be honest. Okay. <laughs> But for all you ladies and like Casey and people like that, I mean, really, it, it was, it's a great flick. I, I mean, it is, it is unbelievable. It's encouraging to me to see uh, that, you know, the message of Jesus Christ and grace and redemption in mainstream. I mean, it was, it was really amazing. Every once in a while, something comes along. Yeah, keep scooting in, you guys, because I started early and people think we're supposed to still be standing up and singing and they're coming in looking for a seat. Um, it, it, it's just encouraging for me to see the mainstream media be able to do something like this. And I'm encouraged anyway. I'm encouraged about 2013. I think it's going to be an amazing year. Uh, I don't know if you heard yet or not, but we had 18,000 people come here for Christmas Eve to hear the trees. You guys did great. Listen, I, I mean, that's like 4,000 people more than we thought were going to come, honestly. That's up 32% over last year, which was also a record, okay? And honestly, I'm excited about the new year because I think the hand of God is upon us. So there are a couple of questions that you would want to ask. If the hand of God is upon us as a church and, and upon what we're going to do in 2013, what should we do? How should we be ready for what happens? And, and here's a real easy one as people are standing in the back getting ready to try to find a seat. The first thing we should do is move. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, move out of this service because this is where, you know, I started thinking about it. I, 18,000 people is, I mean, that, that's a lot of people, but, you know, some of those people go to Parkview already. Some of those people came back twice. You know, some of those people were from out of town. But if 1%... 1% of 18,000 people show up at this service, there's no place for them to sit. 1%. So what I really need for you to do, and we've been asking people to think about doing this, I really need you to volunteer to come on Saturday night. Now we had uh, 1,400 at the 345 last night, so maybe um, you need to come at 545. I want to ask just one week, because this is not the busy week. Traditionally, because of the school holiday and everything, next week is when we're really going to get hammered, okay? So what I want to ask you is, would you just next week come on Saturday night? Just raise your hand and say, next week I will come on Saturday night, okay? I see that hand. You're all going to heaven, okay? <laughs> I don't care what you've done in your life. You're going to heaven. Come on Saturday night, and that's the way it's going to... Because listen, there's no place to sit now, and next week it's going to be a lot worse. So if the hand of God is upon us, you, you literally, I, I don't want to make light of this, you are providing a, a way for the gospel to happen in somebody's life by not attending this service. 
by coming to another one so that somebody can sit and listen to the message of Jesus. So just next week, and the next, next week I'll ask for more people. Maybe you just do it every once in a while, whatever. I'm going to keep asking you every week. Okay? The second thing, if I believe that the hand of God is upon us, uh, and I mean uh, the Christianity, period. I mean, there's just great things going on. I'm excited about what God is doing. But what, the, the second thing that we should do is we should just follow God all the way. We should follow Him. We should stop wavering back and forth between whether we're going to follow God or not follow God. In 2013, we should jump in all the way. And that's what we're going to talk about with Elijah today in the story. We, we just need to jump in all the way and stop going back and forth and decide, you know what? I'm in. I'm, I'm going to do it with, I'm going to do it with this thing with Jesus. I'm going to follow him. No turning back. Chapter 15 in the story. I, I know some of you are new because of Christmas Eve or whatever, and, and you don't know we're doing this. We're going through the story. It's basically the Bible that's been condensed into 31 chapters to help you get the big picture. And we're 15 in right now. We're in, we're in the major prophets area of the Old Testament. We're 15 chapters into this thing, and we're going to see the puzzle picture of how it all works, okay? That's how it's going to be. It's, the, it's not the whole Bible, but it's the outside edges so that you can grasp it. And we're in the prophet section of this, which could be kind of boring if you don't understand that prophets were sent to warn us. And, and we need to be warned. And maybe we need to be warned as we start 2013 you know, today. Maybe that's what needs to happen. I mean, out in the world it's happening more and more. Because of frivolous lawsuits, you, know, you just see warning labels on absolutely everything. And you read them every once in a while and you go, why do they need a warning label for this? How stupid are people, right? Like here's some of my favorites. Washing machine. Do not put anybody in there. <laughs> Okay, that, that won't be good, right? How about this iron? This iron literally says, do not iron clothes while they're on your body. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that besides me? Because I've done it. It works. You just have to go fast, okay? <laughs> it's not a good idea. How about this is a scooter, a razor scooter, you know, that you ride. It says, warning, this product moves, okay? Just in case, I don't know what you thought it was. Or this one, <laughs> hopefully this is for kids. This costume does not enable flight or super strength, just so you know. Um, this one isn't really that, uh, it's not a warning label, it's a washing label, and I just think it's funny because this American company sent this product to France, and at the bottom, in French, if you can read it, it says, we're sorry that our president is an idiot, we didn't vote for him. <laughs> I don't know how old this tag is, I don't know if that was a Republican or a Democrat, but somebody didn't like what was going on at that point. Hey, here's another one, though. How about an iPod? Who is an iPod made by? Apple. <laughs> Don't get confused. Do not eat the iPod Shuffle. I know it's small, but don't eat it. Or how about this? Have you ever wondered which end of the chainsaw should you hold on to? Here's a picture, okay, in case you need it. Here's a picture. Um, this has got to be for some of my relatives from Arkansas. If you have a jet ski, never use a lit match or open flame to check the fuel level. You might be a redneck. Here's a warning label. I don't, I don't even know what it is. It's just funny. Before using, read directions. If you cannot read, do not use. <laughs> so helpful, right? Okay, just one more. This one, I love this. Is my favorite. It's for dogs. It's dog medicine. Use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. <laughs> it's like a Disney movie waiting to happen, isn't it? I love that. We probably need super dumb signs 
and super dumb warnings because people are super dumb. Do you know that 700 people have died at the Grand Canyon in recent recorded history? 700. Some were plane accidents, some were drownings, but honestly, most of them are people that fell off the edge of the canyon. That's why if you go to the Grand Canyon, there are warning signs and gates and fences all around the edge of the Grand Canyon so that stupid people won't go do this and try to take a picture and fall off. I started thinking about this week and I'm like, wait a minute, I did that. Why would I do that? I did that because I'm super dumb and because... Uh, it's a cool picture, and because I think I know more than the people who make the signs. Isn't that the bottom line? When, when you ignore the warning label from anybody, you ignore the warning sign. Basically, you are saying, I know more than you do. Okay? We're in the prophet section of the Old Testament, and it's the warning signs. It is basically God sending a big warning sign person to the nation to say, you are getting ready to fall off of a cliff. You need to stay away from this area, or it's not going to go good. And most of the time, actually almost all the time, the people don't listen. Why do they not listen? Because they think they won't know more than the God who makes the sign. Whenever I disobey God and go do something that He's clearly told me not to do, it's just because either I'm really, really dumb or I just think I know more than God does. And we're going to look at some prophets, some that you know, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We'll look at some that you probably don't know, like Habakkuk. That's fun to say, Habakkuk. There's all kinds of prophets in there. We're going to look at all of them. And basically every one of them has the same message. Listen to God. It'll go well. You won't fall off the cliff. Don't listen to God. It's not going to go well. And you're done. Last week we talked to Casey, started us off talking about the kingdoms and how the kingdoms got split up. Northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they had this whole civil warish kind of thing going on and they decided they were going to, you know, not be along, get along with each other anymore. That wasn't going to work out. So they had this split and Jeroboam's leading the northern kingdom and he's got a problem because Jerusalem's in the southern kingdom and Jerusalem is where the temple is where they're supposed to go worship God. And so the people can't go worship God in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom without leaving his northern kingdom and he doesn't want that to happen. So he says, you know what? I, 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 don't want, I don't want you traveling all the way down, you know, there. The traffic's terrible and they talk funny down in the south down there, you know. You don't want to go down there. You might be a redneck if you worship in Jerusalem. Why don't you just stay here in the northern kingdom and I will make a, a place for you to be able to worship God of some kind. And he reintroduces idol worship after David and, you know, Solomon and, 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 and all things had come back to God, then, then Jeroboam comes along and Rehoboam comes along and they reintroduce idol worship back in. And from this point on, next several weeks, things go from dumb, king dumb, to king dumber, to king dumberer, to where we get today, king dumbest. And his name was Ahab. And... Uh, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. 22 years, he's the bad king. And it's kind of interesting. It says, the next verse says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? What do you want on your tombstone? Not that, okay? 
No, I mean, I mean, you know, there were some pretty bad kings all up along the way in there, including Jeroboam. There were some bad kings along the way, but Ahab takes the cake. And you've got to say, okay, why? What, what, what caused Ahab to be such a bad king? I mean, it, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, okay? He was trapped by his own selfish choices, and a lot of us have been there. He was unwilling to listen to God, and a lot of us have been there. He was unwilling to do the things that God asked him to do when he did listen to him. And a lot of us have been there. And he married a really evil woman. And a lot... (laughs) Really, that is a big part of the problem. A big part of the problem is his wife was Jezebel. And I'm not saying she was a Jezebel. I'm saying she was the original Jezebel. Okay? Princess of the Sidonians, a Baal-worshipping woman from another culture who came in, married Jeroboam, and immediately set up a temple so the people could worship Baal this false god, and killed all of God's prophets that she could get her hands on. Thankfully, Elijah wasn't on the scene at that moment because he isn't there. So, so that's what's going on here. And eventually God says, you know what? I need to send a warning signal. I need to put a warning sign up for God's people, for my people, so that maybe they'll come back to me, so that maybe they'll stay away from the edge of that cliff and come back to me because they're headed in a bad direction. So Elijah, I want you to go talk to Ahab and Jezebel. Okay? It's not an easy job to be a prophet, but especially if you've got to go talk to Elijah and Jezebel, right? When a prophet gets a message from God, you're very rarely going to see in here that a prophet comes and says, hey, God says you guys are doing great, so from now on, the rivers will flow with Mountain Dew. It's going to be great for everybody. You guys are great. Here's a lollipop tree. You don't see that. Usually, God says, okay, it's a warning sign because you're falling off the cliff and I've got to do something about it. I like my job because I get to talk about Jesus and trees and hope. But every once in a while, I need to be a little bit prophetic as well. And maybe that's what I'm going to do today as we begin 2013. Hopefully, you won't kill me. You, there's two reactions to a prophet, okay? Uh, Nathan went to David, King David, and said, you messed up with Bathsheba. And David said, wow, I, forgot, I didn't even realize I've messed up. And he went to God and repented. Elijah goes to Ahab and Jezebel. And what do you think the guy who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anybody before him is going to say? Forget you. And Elijah is faithful anyway, and he goes to Ahab, and here's what he says. He says, he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. In other words, here's the punishment that is going to be your warning sign for you that it's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought. It's your warning label. Why? Because you have set up this temple to Baal and you've been worshiping false gods. Now let me talk about false gods for a little bit here because I think as soon as we bring up idolatry, as soon as we start reading about idolatry in the Old Testament, we're all like, okay, I got that one done, right? You look through the Ten Commandments and you're like, no idols. Whew, okay, I got one, right? That's how you feel because we don't have, you know, we don't have false images in our, in our, you're not bowing down to anything. No, we're not Buddhist or something, you know. I mean, this is not, this is not our deal, right? But there are a thousand verses in the Bible that forbid idolatry and 20% of the Ten Commandments are about idolatry. So has, have things changed all that much? It's kind of interesting. Kyle Ottoman's a friend of mine, preacher down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Wrote a great book if you're looking for a book to read first of the year. It would be a great first of the year read called Not a Fan. It's about being not a fan of Jesus but an actual follower. It's, been, it's a phenomenal book. He's got a new book coming out next month called God's at War where he actually talks about this. 
And he says this. He says, a friend of mine was returning on a missions trip from India, and he was showing me different pictures of homes that he visited there. And I watched these pictures as he pointed out to me how the different chairs were in the room, and all these chairs were arranged carefully all around this golden image, this idol that would be worshipped. He said, I thought to myself, man, that seems a little primitive. I mean, it's hard to imagine that there are still cultures that do that type of thing. Then I went home. I looked at my house. I went in the family room. And I noticed how every chair is carefully arranged around the flat screen TV. <laughs> and he asked, are our idols any different? Or are we just not seeing it? We think, you know, I haven't broken that idol part of the commandment, but Martin Luther actually said, when you break any of the other commandments, it's only after you break commandment number one and two. There's really not any way to dishonor your parents or to lie or murder or steal. There's not any way to do any of those things until you've taken God off the throne and put something else up there. So maybe idolatry is something we ought to take a look at. Maybe it's a great New Year thing for us. Eidelman goes back and looks at a, an English Puritan preacher named David Clarkson who came up with a great list of things to help us. Just a little test, and I want to do this before I take you back to Elijah, just so that you don't look at this story and go, well, that doesn't apply to me at all. Let, let's let it apply to us for a minute, okay? As we start 2013, here are seven questions posed by a guy hundreds of years ago to help us determine whether or not we might have idols in our life. Now again, none of these necessarily mean that you do, but it's a good way for us to think about, okay? Number one, what are you most disappointed with right now? What are you most disappointed with right now? I mean, some disappointment is a part of life, but, 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 but are you really disappointed with your marriage or your, your family or your finances or your job or what, you know, whatever it is? I don't know what it might be. What is it that you're disappointed in? And if you're really disappointed in it and you're disappointed in it all the time, it could be possible that you've let that become an idol because God's not enough for you and you're disappointed in something else. It's possible. Question number two. What do you This one's easy. What do you sacrifice your time and your money for? Wherever, I mean, it's pretty easy to figure out where your priorities are. You look at your calendar, you look at your checkbook, right? What do you sacrifice your time and money for? Is it a person? Is it a job? Is it a hobby? Is it your car? Is it your home? What is it that you're sacrificing for? Jesus very plainly said, where your treasure is, your heart is. And then he goes on and he says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So you've got to figure out who you're going to serve. You figure out who it is or what it is that you're, that you're sacrificing for, and that could reveal an idol issue. Number three, what is it that worries you? What is it that scares you? What, what do you think, man, if I lost this person or if I lost this relationship or if I lost this, you know, this, this, this nest egg, if we lost this, everything would be terrible. And you're up at night worrying about what happens if I lose that. Some of that, again, that doesn't mean it necessarily, but it could be that you've placed that in a higher place, that God's not enough for you. Number four, where do you go when you get hurt? When you're feeling hurt, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling dejected, where is it that you go? Do you go to God as your Father for help? Or do you go to a substance of some kind over and over again? Do you go to your refrigerator and open it up and get out some comfort food? Isn't that fascinating? We call it what it really is, you know? I'm going to have some comfort food. 
Or maybe you go to the temple of pornography on, on, your, on your internet, on your laptop. And there's all kinds of things. Maybe it is your television. Maybe it's just an escape, a way for you to get away from everything because that's where you turn for your comfort. Number five, what makes you mad? Jesus got mad. God got mad. Nothing wrong with anger. And it obviously is going to happen to us along the way. But is there something, kind of goes back to that disappointment thing all over again. Is there something over and over and over again that just keeps making you mad? Maybe it's because it's too high on your list. And you're not okay with God just supplying it. Number six, what brings you the most joy? That's the other side of it. Again, God gave us good gifts. God gave us joy. He wants us to have joy. But is, are there things that you find more enjoyment in than you do God? I mean, is it possible that you've replaced Him, that there's something that's competition for finding your worth in God, something that makes you happy? I know these are hard, aren't they? Last one, whose applause do you long for? Whose applause? I mean, is it, is it your audience that you preach to? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your parent? Is it your child? A friend? Who, whose opinion of you means the most? And, and is it to the point where it means more to you than what God's opinion is? I mean, ultimately, what you need to understand is that anytime we put an idol up in the way, the reason God, God, God's not jealous for us about idol worship because he wants to, you know, he's got a, a, a low self-esteem, okay? The reason that God is jealous of, for us about idol worship is because it's never going to satisfy you. And he loves you. And there's no way that worshiping Baal or whatever it is that you worship is ever going to satisfy you because the only thing that could ever satisfy you is God. That's the hole that's inside of you that you're trying to fill. Anything else is a cheap substitute. And it never works. It is turkey bacon. That's what it is. Okay? Am I right? Or am I right? I mean, I have high cholesterol. I'm over 50. I can't eat, you know, bacon products anymore because I have to watch what I'm eating. On Sunday, it's really awesome because usually somebody cooks for us in the back room and I get real bacon. Listen, here's what I'm saying. God is like bacon. Can I get an amen? Huh? God is like bacon. He's not like a cheap substitute. He's like bacon. That's what he is. We are the bacon church. Did you know that? We actually have bacon night every year here for the student ministry so they can come and have bacon. Um, and Nathan might be advertising that behind me right now. We have bacon night for the junior senior hires. They cooked 300 pounds of bacon last year so they could have bacon contests and they could do all kinds of fun stuff with bacon because bacon is from God. All right? Is that right, Nathan? Bacon is from God. Uh, turkey bacon is a cheap substitute. We had a girl that was here for the first time for Christmas Eve and she saw that poster and she told her parents, can we go back to the bacon church? That's how I want to be known from now on. Where do you go? We go to the bacon church. Yeah, because you know what? I mean, they, bacon is so cool. Do you know that they even make bacon flavoring for your coffee? They make bacon scented candles. Oh yeah, it's all right here. And I'm gonna leave this. I'm gonna leave this candle going for you right now, so that the people in the front row can just understand what I'm saying. Ah. Uh.
That is so good. This is important, okay? It's the real thing. It's not the cheap substitute. That is never going to work. They don't make turkey bacon scented candles. Okay? Now we all understand idolatry? All right. So God goes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, I want you to go. Oh, that's nice. I want you to go to, uh, maybe I could heat this one up a little bit. That'd be perfect. Go to, go to Ahab, he said, and, and it's time for there to be a little showdown. Now, it's been a drought for three years, and, and the people have heard the warning label, and he said, he said okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. As the Lord of God lives, I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, this is what Elijah's going to tell Ahab. There's going to be this drought, it's going to happen, and it's going to be a warning signal for you guys right now so that you will stay away from the edge of the cliff. Now, this is really important. You got to understand this, okay? Baal was the god of weather. Really, track with me. This is important. What God is saying is if you want to worship Baal, I'm going to take rain away from you, the rain god. I'm going to take rain, oh, I'm going to withhold, because I'm not going to bless an idol. I'm going to withhold the rain so that you understand that Baal is not real and that I am. He's withholding his blessing from this. Okay? This is just like the plagues on the opposite side where, where Moses you know, went to Pharaoh and he said, hey, you people worship frogs, let me introduce you to some frogs and here's some frogs. He, God's going to use the things that they, that they had to try to help them to learn a lesson. And you may be surprised by this, but listen, don't be surprised in your own life if there is a drought in your life that matches up to something that could possibly be an idol. Don't make more of this than I'm trying to, but, but here's the deal. God is not going to bless an idol. So if there is an idol in your life, there's no way he's going to come along. You come along and say, God, would you just give me this promotion? I just really need this promotion. I, I, just, I, I would feel so good about myself if my career would just go in the right direction. And, and, and he might do that, but if that, if that career projection, if your job is an idol for you, why would he bless it? He wants your identity to be found in him. Or you say, God, would you just bless me financially? If our family could just make this amount of money which is always more than we do now, right? If we could just make this amount of money, then everything would be okay and we would feel secure and everything would be great. Why, why would God do that? He wants you to be secure in Him. He, he, he's more likely to withhold His blessing. He's more likely to withhold the rain to help you to understand who you need to trust in. The one true God, the real bacon, that's what you really need in your life. And the opposite is also true. If God is in His rightful place and everything else is secondary, and we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things can be added to us. Then the rain could fall. I can't tell you how many times I've had this discussion with somebody, uh, a man or a woman, who said, you know what, for so many years, I just thought, if, if you would just give me God, if you would just give me my husband, my wife, my significant other, my Jerry Maguire, you complete me. If you would just give me that person, because that's what it said in Jerry, and I know I need somebody to complete me. You're not enough, God. If you would just send me that person, I would be okay. I can't tell you how many times people have said, you know what, and finally I got to the point where I just said, you know what, God, I'm okay with just you. I'm okay uh, trusting you, seeking first your kingdom, and you figure it out along the way. And it was right after that that I met my husband, or I met my wife. Now please hear me. 
please be careful. I am not saying that you are single um, because you have an idol. If you, I mean, maybe you're single and you want to be married. I'm not saying that that's why you're single right now. I'm not saying that, that you're, you don't have... A, a child that you've been praying for because you have an idol. I'm not saying that you have a health problem in your life because you have an idol. Okay, please listen to me. Jesus prayed for God to take the cross away from him. And God said, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. And Jesus didn't have an idol problem. Paul prayed for a, a health problem, a thorn in the flesh, to be taken away from him. And God said, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. You're going to have to rest in my grace. And Paul did not have an idol problem. I am not saying that just because you have an issue in your life that feels like a drought from God that maybe he's withholding his blessing. This is not a guaranteed formula. Don't go changing your Facebook status to in a relationship with Jesus so you can get a date. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to see any of that. But I have seen it happen. I have seen it happen over and over again. I'll give you the better example. I've seen it happen in finances. It's black and white, man. God said over and over in the Bible, if you will trust me in your finances, I will bless you. He doesn't say financially necessarily. It's not a prosperity thing. But he says, I will bless you if you trust me in this. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody who said, you know what, Tim? We heard you preach on tithing. We heard you preach about that all over and over again. We just thought you were full of it. We just thought, you know, there's no way I'm believing that. You're, mis you're misquoting scripture. That can't apply to me. But one day, we just decided, hey, it's time to have some faith. Let's try this and see what happens. And then they start to tell me about how the rain came. So the drought, it goes on for three years, and then Elijah comes back. He basically sets up this cage match between himself and the 850 prophets of Baal. It's, it's really kind of amusing. Well, Ahab goes to meet Elijah, and when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? They're, they're squaring off here. It sounds like, you know, the OK Corral. It sounds like a Western movie, right? You son of a motherless goat. They're, they're squaring off with each other right here. They're calling each other names. Elijah said, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the Baals. So get your 850 prophets and you gather together with me and you meet me at the OK Mount Carmel and we're going to have this duel, okay? <coughs> we're going to have this duel and we're going to see what happens. And so Elijah gets everybody together, and the 850 prophets are over here, and all the people are over here, and Elijah's all by himself. And he turns to the people of 1 Kings 18, and he says, Hey, how long are you going to waver between these two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long are you going to keep doing this, people? And... Chapter 18, verse 21 says, And the people said nothing. I find that really fascinating. Why do they say nothing? Because they wanted both. <laughs> Isn't that how it works, right? If, if it were, they wanted to follow Baal, they'd, they'd say Baal. If they wanted to follow God, they'd say God. But just like in my life, I never really want God to get completely off the throne. I just want him to scoot over and make a little room for something else. You know what I'm saying? Is that how it works for you? And I think that's true in our lives. I, I, it's never that we want God to go away. It's that, you know, if I could have a little bit of God here and a little bit of that idol here, isn't this a great New Year's message for us? I think if Elijah was here right now, this is what he would say. He would say, why are you wavering? 
Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You've got to stop going back and forth. 2013 is the year for you to decide you're going to get in or you're going to get out. You know, follow this all the way or follow this all the way, but stop being lukewarm. God said, when you're lukewarm, it makes me sick. It makes me want to spit you out. So jump in. And that's what I want to say to you. Jump in in 2013. That's what needs to happen. So here's the showdown. He says, okay, here we go. Here's what I want you to do. Choose a bull and prepare it first and... Since there's so many of you, you guys can go first. And you call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. See if your God will do it. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was surprisingly no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they made. And this next verse is really one of my favorite verses in the Bible because... Elisha starts trash-talking. It's so great. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. I know you can't tell the voice inflections unless you know Hebrew like I do. That's how he said it. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's on a little trip. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. When you actually look at the Hebrew translation of this, he literally says, maybe he's in the bathroom and he's busy and he can't come out right now. He's using his spiritual gift of sarcasm. It comes in handy from time to time. But listen to this next verse. I've made light of this before, but it really just hit me differently this time. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. I mean, it seems dumb, but that was a part of I mean, they had so many dumb ways that they worshipped false idols. It involved prostitution. It involved sacrificing their children. It involved cutting themselves. All kinds of weird things they did to try to draw upon their gods. Why? Because they could never get one to show up. So they kept trying something a little bit different because they weren't really there. But I just think it's so tragic to think about the fact that they... They bled out for their idols. How many times have we bled out? How much have we lost because of our idols? We're not going to sacrifice our children literally, but have we sacrificed the futures of our children because of something else that we put on the throne of God? They bleed out for their idols. And, and Baal doesn't show up. Why doesn't Baal show up? The psalmist clearly tells us why. Their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but can't speak. They have eyes but can't see. And those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. You're going to get nothing out of this. You're not going to be able to see. You're not going to be able to speak. Nothing. So finally says Elijah says, okay, you've had enough time. Hours you've been doing this. Okay, it's my turn. Back off. Back away from the sacrifice and watch me work. He says, and hey, I'm going to make this a little difficult on my God. Let's dump water on the altar. Okay? Remember, they're trying to make a fire. He said, let's dump water on the altar. Remember, there's been a drought for three years. Okay? Let's waste a bunch of water and dump it on the altar. Okay? I'm going to really in your face and I want to, make, I want to be God cocky. That's what he's doing. He's being God cocky right here. Okay? He's saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tie one hand behind God's back and make it a little bit harder. And then what does he do? He prays. He, he doesn't cut himself. He doesn't dance. He doesn't plead. He doesn't shout. He just prays this prayer. I love this translation. 
Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. And prove that I've done all this at your command. This wasn't just my idea. Oh Lord, answer me. Why, why would all this happen? Why did the prophets come? Why is there a warning sign? Why did this always happen over and over again? Answer me so that the people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. God is not mad at the people for being idiots and falling off cliffs. They're His children. God is not mad at you for allowing something else to be an idol in your life in 2012. He simply wants to bring you back to Himself as your child. That's what He wants to do. Elijah says, look, this isn't about me. This is about you. Show up here, God, and show up in a way so that they know it's you and the people will come back to you. That's all I'm asking. And immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the bull and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it even licked up all the water in the trench. When you see God work like that, what would your reaction be? And when the people saw it, this is what it ought to be. They fell face down and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. We forgot. The Lord, He is God. And then what happened? The rain came, of course. Then the rain came. That's what happened. So Elijah said, you better go tell Ahab to hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And everybody's like, oh, ha, ha, it hasn't rained in three years. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Check this out. But the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab in the chariot all the way to Jezreel. I just wanted to throw that in because I want you to see how awesome the power of God is on the life of Elijah. I mean, he's the prophet that in the end of his life, he doesn't die. God just swings down in a fiery chariot and says, hey, come on, let's go, and takes him up to heaven. This is a guy who calls down fire from heaven, runs faster than the $6 million man. I mean, he runs faster than a chariot. It's amazing. It's a great story. I love it. It's one of my favorites. If you go to the Holy Land, I'm going, I'm taking a trip on Memorial Day. If you go with me, we will be at Mount Carmel. Here's a, a, a statue that is erected at the top of Mount Carmel of Elijah and the prophets. And I know you can't read, I know you can't read Latin or Arabic or, or Hebrew. What that says is, Elijah opened up a can on the prophets of Baal. That's a literal translation right there. <laughs> I love, it was so cool to be there. That's fantastic. But, but here's what's happened so far. Okay, here's what I understand. I've been preaching about this and all of a sudden opened up your eyes to the fact that maybe we all have some idol issues in our life and you're feeling kind of bad and you're thinking, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you know what? I need to be more like Elijah. I, I just need to be more like Elijah. He was a faithful prophet of God in the face of Jezebel. Don't we wish we were more like Elijah? Well, hang on. Because Elijah's human too. Just the next chapter, the next chapter in the Bible. Jezebel hears about all this and says to Elijah, sends a messenger to Elijah, you're a dead man. May the gods deal with me so severely that by this time tomorrow you're not dead. I'm coming, I'm, I'm sending somebody to kill you. Now you would think that Elijah, after he's seen all this and he's a prophet of God and he understands how strong God is, that he could send fire from heaven and make him run faster than a chariot, would go, bring it on, lady. <clears throat> Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he went out into the desert, he came to a tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. I've had enough. You believe that? I mean, after all this stuff, he gives up. Why? I don't know. Fighting evil is tiring work. Okay? But here's what I know. I'm not saying that all of us have idols in our life. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. I have them from time to time. But I know that all of us are going to disappoint God. Even Elijah did. He disappoints God. All of us, if I could say this maybe differently, have a dark side. We all have a dark side that we wish wasn't there. And we're coming into the beginning of 2013. And so just stop right now and you know, do something a little different and play for you a Kelly Clarkson song. And I want you to listen to the lyrics of Dark Side. Many of you heard this song on the radio. Because I don't know why she wrote it. I don't know if she wrote it to a guy or if she really wrote it to God. But if you listen to it from that perspective, I want you to hear this song. And then I'm going to come back and finish up the story. But I want you to hear this song and hear her as she's saying, you know what? I'm not such a good person. I'm not so great. I have a dark side, and I hope that you can love me. And maybe this could be your prayer as we start a new year, because there's a lyric in here. The one that really got me from this Kelly Clarkson song is, please, whoever she's talking to, and you're going to be listening to this from the perspective of somebody talking to God, please remind me who I am. That's all I need for you. The beginning of 213. Remind me who I am, God. Remind me that I'm one of your children. I know I have a dark side. Maybe I'm a discouraged prophet. Maybe I'm a full-fledged, Baal-worshipping, idol-worshipping person. I don't know. But I know I have a dark side. And I'm coming before you right now, and I'm understanding that. Will you love me? I want to point something out to you. Do you notice where Elijah went? Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. He went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a tree and he sat down under it and he prayed. I mean, if you weren't here Christmas Eve, we still got the decorations up because we haven't even had time to take them down yet. But the whole tree thing is just, it's just kind of ironic to me that we get to Elijah and he needs strength and he sits down under a tree. Was God mad at him? Was God disappointed in him? Oh, Elijah, I, sh- I helped you run like, a, you know, faster than a, a, a horse. I helped you. I've called down fire from heaven. How could you be discouraged? Do you know what God does? God sent him an angel. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And as he looked around, there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. An angel made him breakfast and some water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. When he was discouraged, when he turned to God and he said, you know what, I want to die. God said, hey, I'm going to send you an angel. Some commentators remark that, you know, there's a lot of times when it says God sent an angel, an angel of the Lord visited somebody. It's possible that some of those instances could have actually just been Jesus. The way you could read the translation could have been Jesus. I mean, Jesus was there. God could have sent Jesus to Elijah under the tree might have been Michael, Gabriel. We don't know what it was. What I know is that when Elijah went and sat down under a tree, God sent an angel to him, and he made him breakfast. God sent Elijah to the people because he loved them, and he wanted them to come back. And I think God sent me to you today because he loves you, and he wants you to come back. And if you need an angel, he will send you an angel. Matter of fact, we've got a whole bunch of them that will be bringing you bread in just a moment in a little cup. 
and, 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 a, and a cup of juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ who was crucified on a tree to take away our sins. That's how much God loves you. Please don't ever look at all this stuff and go, man, why was God so mean to those people? He withheld rain for three years. It's because he wanted them back. It's just, it's just be easier if you just come back. So Elijah gets his strength up. He goes over to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and he wants to meet with God. This is, this is what we're going to do here at the end. This is why we did things a little differently in the service. We're going to spend a little time with God at the end before communion. And God showed up, said, Go out and stand by the mountain. The presence of the Lord is going to pass by you. So Elijah's like, okay, I'm getting ready to meet with God. What's going to happen? And great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Must have been there, right? That must be God. It's powerful. Nope. Lord was not there. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that, there was a fire. And Elijah had to think, come on. You've got to be in the fire, God. Burning bush, fire from heaven. This has got to be you, right? But the Lord was not in the fire. But then after the fire came a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it, and he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood at the mouth of the cave and met with God. That's why the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. And the reason we don't hear from God more often is because maybe we're not heeding the warning signs, number one. And number two, it's because there's too much noise in our life. There's too many things going on to distract us. And it's not the big powerful wind. It's not the fire. It's not the earthquake. It's the still, small voice of God that you need to hear. So for just a moment here at the end of this deal, we're going to spend a moment just being silent, just listening for the voice of God. And here's what he's telling you. I know what he's telling you. He's telling you, I want you back. I want you to be my child. You've always been my child. I sent Jesus to die on a tree so that you could be my child. So come to the tree. Figuratively, sit down under it right now. Let me send an angel to send you some bread. Strengthen yourself and go back out there. And maybe, you know what, wouldn't be a bad idea as you start the new year for you to figure out how to have a little bit of space in your life every day where you were just still and listen for the voice of God because He's always there and He always wants to tell you something and it's always that He loves you and it's always that He cares about you. The prayer that Elijah gave before the people was, God, answer me so that these people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. That's my prayer for you right now. God, listen to us and show up in this place so that the people will know that you're God and that they will know that you want them back. That's why you sent Elijah. That's why you sent me. That's why you sent anybody that we've had in our life is so that we could understand that you love us. So whether we are, Lord, discouraged prophets today at best or full-fledged idol-worshiping pagans at worst, help us to know that you do still love us as we spend a moment just in silence. Speak to us, Father. I hope they heard you, Lord. 
know it's not easy. Be with us as we start this year and help us to remove the distractions and listen to what we know is your voice, what we know is your call, and that is to follow you and follow you all the way and to stop wavering back and forth. If we've identified some idols today, we're going to give them over to you right now. We're going to figuratively bow down on our knees like the people did when they finally realized that you were there and and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We're going to do that right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.